a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I feel like I have an unpopular opinion, and that is that Phyrexia All Will Be One Draft is a totally good, serviceable draft format. And I feel like that is just an outlandish take, which is crazy to me. I... I agree with you. And I think as we were just talking about before uh, firing up the recording that like, like or dislike the format, I I think that's totally fine. And again, as we said last week, that's not really what we will be focusing on uh, this week, though, perhaps we will be representing some of those opinions here and disputing them. But like or dislike the format is just misunderstood. Like people are not engaging with the format in I think the correct way, which leads to a feeling of my decisions don't matter, it's decided by bombs, it's too aggressive, die roll matters, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's really like undercutting a lot of the the things that the format has to offer in terms of what the rules of engagement are. Yes, I completely agree. It's just misunderstood. And I feel I feel like I understand it. And I love it as a result of understanding it. And I'm so defensive that people are just writing it off. So I think this episode is whatever. Like what, what percentage of the magic community do you think thinks this format is bad right now? It's so hard because the, the negative voices are the loudest voices, right? So like what we're seeing is not necessarily the uh, an accurate representation of the limited community at large but we're seeing a lot of vocal negativity in twitter in our you know in our discord and that negativity as don't ever want to knock the lords of limited discord that negativity is is certainly in a constructive way sort of in in pursuit of how do i turn this negativity into win percentage um but i think that i think there's we're seeing a lot of that so i don't know I, this feels like a pretty darn unpopular format maybe i would say 80% of people one in one in five people like this format maybe that's too generous even i don't know i was thinking let's even say conservatively that it's like a third of people like it and two-thirds of people don't or whatever uh-huh. but honestly the thing you were talking about just like the online stuff i feel like this is the first time i was thinking about this you know like things in the world and the political spectrum here in the united states and like everybody bumping heads and being in an echo chamber I feel like that's happening to mtg with yes. this format and that's the first time i've ever really felt that about mtg you know yeah and it does feel like if you have a different opinion that you are getting shut down 
that like I, I do feel discounted a little bit. And I, I think I've, I've even been streaming less than you this week, um, but I've been feel like that opinion is discounted. And I've been drafting a lot. I haven't checked the 17 lands leaderboard. My win rate is also not good. So don't look <laughs> for me on the 17 lands leaderboard. Just it's a, it's a real it's a real um, disparity between how like much I feel like I understand what's happening in the format versus how <laughs> savaged I'm getting a lot of the time. And there's no real middle ground. It's like one threes and two threes and then seven wins. Like that's the that's the middle ground. I've been joking that I always know exactly how many players are in mythic because that's my rank i'm just like at the very bottom (laughs) of the mythic rankings right now um but despite that i haven't checked the leaderboard i do think i have probably some of the most games of this format logged or the most drafts of this format logged would be my guess I just, I just think it's misunderstood. I think this poor format is getting a bad rap, and the people who are trying to come to its defense are being beaten down. Well, and I think so. For whatever, let's say there's, let's say you're right, and there's eighty percent of people that don't like the format. This episode is for the forty percent of those eighty percent that are just misunderstanding. Like I'm sure there's some people that don't like the format and understand it, and that's fine too. But I think there's also just a lot of people that have the wrong idea about the format, and hopefully this episode will you know, give you some tools to fight back against some of the things that are frustrating you and help you appreciate the format for what it is. So much like we did about a year and a half ago, where we brought our friend two duck cubed on to defend data and put it on trial. We're going to have the people versus one today. We're going to we're going to have all V1 and we're going to put the format on trial. And Ben has uh, graciously taken up the role of defending its honor. So, but before we get into that, we have some housekeeping stuff. And then I want to touch on some of our assumptions last week. I cannot believe, Ben, that last week when we recorded, we hadn't played the format really. Like we'd done early access, you'd play the tournament, but we hadn't played it in the sense of like, it's live online and we can play it as much as we want because so much has changed for me in that time. And I feel like we got so much right last week. But the stuff that we didn't or the stuff that I feel like I didn't, I want to touch on. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to push back against you. I was going to say, I think we did a darn good job of painting a picture of the format before it came out on Arena even. I was going to give us props. I totally agree. I think we did a really good job. Uh, but I but I don't want to focus uh, you know, I don't want to focus on do we like it, do we not like it. I don't want to focus on the stuff we got right. I just want to get to here's the stuff I think we got wrong and I, here's how we're going to tweak it. And then we're going to get to the trial. So first things first, housekeeping stuff. Let's talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. I just mentioned the Discord as being an incredible community. Everybody who gives back via the Patreon gets access to the Discord, which is just a giant, enormous, I, I, I cannot express how large of a platform Discord is if you've never used it for discussing MTG. We have countless channels for you know specific formats for broader things we've got so many things popping off in big picture discussions card evaluations those are really the two channels i love checking in on early in a format you know we talk about how the discord's a great place for breaking the format wide open and sure you're going to get those solutions in the discord of course we have so many really talented limited players pouring their hearts out into the discord but also just like a great place for discussions for people to constantly reevaluate cards or rules of engagement all that good stuff move up the ranks of the patreon reward tiers you get access to a bunch of other stuff you know we're recording here sunday morning if you want access to that show a little bit early about 24 hours earlier than the rest of the world out there you can do that on the Patreon. You can even get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben if you move all the way up those ranks. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons the first week that they join. And we have a whopping boatload of folks to welcome this week. So I'm going to ask Ben to join me in welcoming Brian, Zach, Justin, Johan, Rodney, Victor, Chris, 
Dan, Joris, Adam, Jonathan, Tyler, Rob, Zypher, Cloudy, Michael, Imlar, Christopher, Daniel, Chris, Alex, Brian, Malky, Tice, and Alexander. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. We also want to shout out our TCG Player sponsorship, tcgplayer.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need Magic related. We want to shout out the TCG Player subscription for $6.99 a month. As part of that, you get free shipping and tracking on all your orders. So you should definitely be doing it if you're ordering any MTG stuff from TCG Player. In addition to that, you're also going to get some extra store credit back on your purchases, as well as access to all the CFB Pro articles that are written by me, you, Alex, a host of other MTG pros along with us. I'm going to be putting out an article this weekend, I think, that will air sometime later this week, and I am fired up to write yeah. about Phyrexia all be one So if you're not liking the format or you're struggling, stay tuned for that article, and hopefully it will give you some tips on how to win a little bit more in the format. And in addition to that, please use our affiliate link for any purchases you're going to be making on the TCG website. Get some Phyrexia All Will Be One sealed product. Maybe you're going to appreciate this draft format after this episode, and you're going to want to save a booster box or two for down the road drafting with your friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's that good of a format, but it could be, I think, Mm -hmm. certainly. But regardless, whatever purchases you're making on the website, please use our affiliate link. You can get there by going to lordslimited.com slash TCG player, and then anything you do on their website will help us out. Or you can go to our website while you're there. Check out the tier list maybe for Phyrexia All Will Be One. Get yourself some Lords of Limited merchandise or click on the support tab and you can navigate to our TCG player affiliate link through that as well. All right. I want to revise some of the things I said last week, starting with the color rankings. And for me, I I think we got largely this correct, except I owe some apologies to green. We had green in last place last week and I have bumped green. I had this as red first, white second, green third, Blue fourth, black is now solidly in last place for me, and we'll talk about why in just a second. But first, I'll talk about why green has moved up to maybe even second place. I do have it right now uh, ahead of white, um, which may be blasphemous. I do think the format has has clearly shaken out to be a Naya format at, at large. You know, red green I think has emerged as the best deck in the format, and part of that is due to how consistent or how much of a you know a, a fail safe it is at common for your drafts one of the things i think i i misunderstood about green and it's interesting I, and i keep going back to your thought about neon dynasty being you know this spectrum of red to green of artifacts to um enchantments and i think you could do a sort of similar thing of like a spectrum of flexible to inflexible from red to black and that flexibility from red not being tied to toxic. And so its cards just do its thing largely. I think I gave a knock to green last week for like, well, green split between toxic and oil. And so that's why it's sort of, you know, of two minds. But I think if you just largely ignore the toxic side of green and don't really pay attention to that and really just pay attention to the oil aspect of green, I think it performs similarly to red in a lot of ways in that like green just does its thing and can do its thing in any color pair. And I think the other thing that I was focusing too much on was, well, green's two drops are bad, or in my opinion, they're like bad, replaceable, whatever. Like the 2-2 that comes in with oil counters and the 3-1 toxic 2 at common, those are just not cards that matter largely, like you pick them up late, whatever. And I think if you just ignore those, and really we'll talk about um, the Cultivator, the the Rustvine Cultivator one drop, I think that's a really strong card. I think if you focus more on the one drops, the Evolving Adaptive and Uncommon, that that sort of fills in the gap that green has. And then it's really kind of bangers all the way up from three, four, five. So apologies to green, and I think it's really a very strong color in the format. I would push back a little bit 
against your color rankings. I mean, like, I, I agree with all of those things that you're saying about green. Mm-hmm. And I do think we were too hard on green last week, but I would still have it definitely behind white, like red, green, okay. red, white, green for me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think you can make a case for blue ahead of green right now with how grossly underdrafted yes. blue is. And we're going to we're going to start the trial here early because this is one of the things I saw that I didn't add to the show notes was that the colors are imbalanced. Like the new thing since the data got updated yesterday is it's a Naya format. Lol, 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 lol. And the, the <laughs> colors are way out of balance. But I, I don't think that's true. And certainly if everyone does think that it's a Naya format, blue and black have room to shine, too. It's not so out of balance that black's unplayable or anything. And I think if people are disrespecting blue, blue is actively very good when it's underdrafted. I, I totally agree about blue. I am worried that it will never self-correct for black because people will continue to draft black's removal too highly. And then that will cause like, I think ideally one black drafter at the table. Great. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. And so I feel like black is going to get stretched too thin a lot of the time. But you know, who knows if that's if that's true. But I totally agree with you about blue. And my reason for white being behind green is I just often feel like white is just a little, it has a little taste of black where I'm like, if I'm white, green or white, black, cool, I get to do the toxic thing. Except it's really only white, black. Like white, green can just be beats. It doesn't need to be tied to toxic at all. And then I agree, like white, red and white, blue, certainly white, blue cares a lot less about anything that isn't an artifact, the best versions of white, blue, and then red, white just wants to beat down. And so a lot of those like toxic creatures, like I'm just a little unclear about crawling chorus, really strong. But, you know, when I take it, it's at its best in white, black and can be serviceable elsewhere. What about the tutu that's first strike on your turn? What about the flensing raptor? You know what I mean? Like you start to, as you move up the curve with these toxic creatures, and maybe I'm too tied into the corrupted payoffs or trying to get those corrupted payoffs working. Um, But that's just been my feeling about white is that it asks a little bit more of you in the draft, whereas I feel like red and green early don't or red and green as fallback plans later in the draft don't ask that much of you yes i hear all of that but i think the same way we incorrectly assigned the splitness of green as a negative yeah last week i think you're doing that to white as well and yeah. i think those cards you named are not my favorite white commons like those I are agree. the my second tier of white commons where if i have to draft toxic i will but I think once you start taking Mandible just to CR a lot higher, which is mm-hmm. the, the one in white 2-1 lifelink, and whenever an artifact DTBs, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Once you start picking that as the best or the second best white commons, second best, I think, behind the, the pacifism variant. But mm-hmm. Once you start picking that highly, then you can start to just look at white as a, a great color with white and red or white and blue. And then that card's also just very good even in a toxic deck as well, because so many decks are trying to kill you with damage that it, it just mm-hmm. does everything you want in the format. I don't know. I love white as a color. And I think it's got powerful cards, regardless of if you want to go down a non-toxic or a toxic route. Yeah. So I think red is still clearly first, whatever. If you want green second, white second, I do think blue is behind those, but like is currently getting a bump from both of us for how misunderstood it is. We'll talk about that a little later. And then black in fourth It's the opposite of red in how narrow it is because it basically only does toxic. And I would say two of its decks, blue, black, and red, black, are two you should almost never end up in. They're they're decks that I understand now, but I think they're just really hard to get at common. Like a lot needs to go right 
for blue, black and red, black to come together. Um, and black, white, I think is great. And black, green, I think doesn't have to be tied to toxic as much because green doesn't have any of the corrupted payoffs. But I still think black is solidly in last place for me, which is a far cry from where it was last week in what was it? Second place, third place third i think yeah but i agree with everything you're saying about black and once i understood also like i saw the same light that you did once i understood that black was toxic or bust then it's a lot less appealing because i think yes if you are struggling with a format an easy way i think to get you to do better or to to try to have you experience it differently is toxic is the last resort of decks that you should be trying to get into in my personal opinion i think it is the most finicky and the hardest to draft and the most needs to come together as far as you not competing with other drafters for it to work. Do you ever play hearts? I do love playing hearts. Yeah, absolutely. It's shooting the moon. Toxic is shooting the moon. Like if you get there, your deck is awesome. But if you don't, you're going to lose hard. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. I, I've been framing it as mutate in Ikoria. Like everyone right now is trying to draft toxic like it's mutate where it's the best thing to do in the format where actually it is the least desirable thing you should be doing. Like you should be getting forced into drafting toxic. I also want to say that I think I shortchanged the draft portion of this format last week, or maybe gave some misinformation as uh, someone in my coaching session may have alluded to this week is that like I was saying, you, you know, you want to lock in a little earlier than normal. You didn't have as much wiggle room. I don't actually think that's true. I just think it's a different kind of delaying the decision. It's a delaying the decision that I'm like less comfortable with. I do often feel like sometimes in my drafts, I get into panic mode. Sometimes in my drafts, I'm scrapping for playables because you can get pretty wonky signals right now. And part of that, I think, is just people figuring it out. You know, it's day five of the format right now, which is kind of crazy because it feels like it's just been around for so long. I've had so many draft experiences, but I do think that, uh, that the drafts are really tough. And if you think you don't have decisions in draft, I think you're engaging with the format in, in a very incorrect way. I am glad to hear you say that because I, I have found the drafts to be fascinating. And I think the gameplay as well, but we'll get into all that. All right. Talk to me about some archetype power rankings since it's not really about, you know, we, it's, it's a less about colors, right? Stop drafting colors, start drafting archetypes. Yeah, I think archetypes are the defining feature of the format. And I think... The biggest mistake people are still doing in their drafts is drafting colors. Like they're saying, mm -hmm. I'm drafting blue green or I'm drafting black red or I'm drafting white green and you're drafting white and green, not a white green archetype. So I think you can draft red as a color, like the same way you would in any ordinary normal format and then find another color to pair with it because red's so flexible and it plays well with all four color pairs. But mm -hmm. other than that, during the draft, you really need to be thinking about if I take this card, I'm likely to end up in green, white, toxic. Or if I take this card, I'm likely to end up in blue, black, toxic or whatever the case may be. And it's it's more that way for toxic decks than it is some of the other decks. But even red, white equipment, like there's cards that push you down certain routes or there's cards that let you leave two to three avenues open during your draft. But I think looking at the cards in the context of what archetype they go into, there's just so many gold cards in the format that aren't gold cards, secret gold cards, as we like to call them. Mm -hmm. And I think people just end up with those secret gold cards in the wrong decks so often. And if you have a deck that's mismatched and not put together well, you're just going to get creamed by someone that put together a focused archetypal deck. 
I totally agree. I had a, a coaching session this week where I was reviewing a draft. The first pick was ossification, the two mana white uncommon removal spell. And then pack one pick two, they had the choice between volt charge, the deal three proliferate, contagious vorak, the three three that impulses for a land or proliferates. And Duelist of Deep Faith, the 2-2 Toxic 1 that has first strike on your turn. And they selected the white creature because, hey, I have a white removal spell, follow it up with a white 2-drop, let's stay in white. And normally that might be okay. Hey, get deeper into one color, take a slight hit in power level with the Duelist versus those other cards. But in this format, I think that's a, a, a real recipe for disaster, right? I think it's, one, it's too big of a hit in power level to take that white card over Volt Charge or the Vorak. And two... That two drop is at its best in white black, which is the white deck I am least likely to end up in because black is so narrow and so contested. And so that like already you're seeing these chain reactions of yes, but and I'm already considering archetypes aside from red, that idea of getting deeper into a color falls apart pretty quickly because of how tied to archetypes most of the cards are. Yes, I completely agree. Amen. Preach, please. (laughs) And I think you can do that with red, but not the other colors. And so instead of trying to get deeper into one color, what you should be doing is like trying to give yourself avenues to delay locking in to a certain archetype while not taking too big of a hit in power level. Yeah. And and that's why I think red green has emerged and I think will stay as the best color pair, not only because it has a lot of power and a lot of consistency, but that it's fail-safe at common. Like I think green's cards play, I don't want to say the best with red because I think red just is great, but green's cards play really well with red and green's common specifically play really well with red. Yes, completely agree. So getting into some archetype power rankings in the top tier, we've got red, green oil or just red, green beats. Honestly, red and green commons and uncommons is going to be great. Sometimes oil synergy, sometimes not. Then blue-red, whether it's oil or blue-red artifacts. And I think, honestly, of those two blue-red artifacts with Eyes of Malkator, that's the, the two and a blue ETB, Scry 2, and whenever another artifact enters the battlefield, it becomes a 4-4. That card is just woefully misunderrated and misunderstood still. But mm-hmm. uh, So Eyes of Malkator with blue-red or blue-red oil. And then blue-white artifacts with Eyes of Malkator and red-white equipment. Those, I think, are the, the top tier of archetypes. I think I would put green-white beats up there myself because you have green white as toxic here but i think i think the the more that i tried to decouple green white as a toxic deck because if i stopped thinking about green's archetypes as toxic because green doesn't really have the corrupted payoffs that really freed things up a lot for me i had a pretty successful green white draft uh earlier this week and i was at the end of it i was like oh it seems all over the place like i don't have enough toxic stuff and someone in my chat was like most of the green white trophy decks look like this they're just pile of good cards and the deck played out that way as well so i think don't think about it as toxic think about it as beats and you'll be happy and i think i would put it in tier one as well but i agree with everything else yeah absolutely i love hearing that and then in the second tier we've got black white toxic green black toxic red black beat down blue black control i think there's also a really sneaky blue black tempo deck out there too that i've seen mm-hmm. and i got a chance to pilot once that was really fun and then in last place, in a, in a tier three all on its own, I think blue-green toxic. Yeah, blue-green is really the only deck I just actively don't want to end up in. I it's or, or I should say at least, it's the only deck I don't have a real sense of what the heck is this doing. I've never seen a successful version of the deck. Everything else, even decks I feel like I don't want to end up in that much, like red-black and blue-black, I have a pretty strong idea of what those decks look like at least. 
Yes. Well, and I think, too, also, there's maybe a world where blue-green can have a chance to shine if people ever course-correct for the rules of engagement of the format, where when people start to contest the two drops and start to contest the cheap removal a little bit more, if everyone starts following the rules, the format slows down, right? And then mm-hmm. maybe there's a chance for those more mid-rangey and, and controlling archetypes to shine. All right, a handful of individual cards that I want to discuss before we get into the trial. I think we must talk about Chimney Rabble uh, based on the early 17 lands data. This is three and a red for a 3-3. Three, three. The 3-3 three, three has haste, and when it comes into play, you make a 1-1 one, one goblin. Uh, before the data updated, this was the top common in the format. It is currently sitting at number four overall by game and hand win rate. I, th- I think it's hard to ignore that, right? Hard to ignore uh, fourth place after five days of data. I mean, maybe. I, I He's going to ignore it. I mean, I am definitely going to ignore it. I have not looked at the data yet. I do know that was the top thing because it's impossible to ignore the data as a content creator with people coming in and spouting data at you while you're streaming. But I think for me, like, yes, I see that Chimney Rabble is a good card. What I would push back on and why I think it's going to continue to fall down in the data rankings as we get more data, or maybe not, because I don't think data is really going to tell the story for this format. Mm. Um, Certainly the way people are drafting it and viewing it right now. But Chimney Rabble is an intrinsically powerful card on its own. But it's not particularly synergistic in the format other than it does what you want to do in the format, which is attack while leaving behind a blocker. Mm. But it doesn't play well with the other good commons or the other synergistic commons. So personally, I've not been picking it highly and viewing it almost as replaceable, which is probably too low on it. But there's just so many good fours that are synergistic and Chimney Rabble is not synergistic. So is it going to be outstanding in like a red green cards deck that isn't focused on oil in your four drop slot? Absolutely. Is it going to be awesome in mono red beatdown in your four drop slot? Absolutely. But in red white equipment, I don't think you're really supposed to run or pick Chimney Rabble super highly or in Red, green, oil. I don't think you're supposed to run or pick Chimney Rabble super highly. Like the more synergistic your deck is, which are the best decks in the format, in my opinion, the worse Chimney Rabble looks in your four drop slot. I agree with all that you're saying there. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's an overperformer for me in the four drop slot, much like Lattice Blade Mantis. I think we have to talk about this. I think you and I came to this conclusion separately. This is three and a green for a four, three comes into play with two oil counters on it. When it attacks, you can remove an oil counter from it. If you do, it gets plus one, plus one, and you untap it. It took too many times of me facing this and going, "Ah, I can't really double block this. Well, I'm at 20. I'll just take five. And then all of a sudden (laughs) I'm at 10 and I just took 10 off of this one common for no reason. And then I was like, Okay, I guess this card is pretty darn good. Yeah, I went on the hoarding ogre journey with Lattice yeah. Blade Mantis, which is the 3-3 the three, three from AFR that when you roll dice, you make treasure. I just kept thinking, man, I'm losing to this terrible card before finally realizing, oh, this card's not terrible. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. good. But honestly, so, okay, in Red Green Oil, are you putting Lattice Blade Mantis in your four drop slot or Chimney Rabble? Because uh, I'm putting Lattice Blade Mantis in there, and maybe yes. that just makes me bad at magic. But if I have a focused red-green oil deck, I'm, I'm playing Lattice Blade Mantis over Chimney Rebel. No, because in theory, you get more oil counters to put on that. So you get to attack with it maybe multiple times. You get payoffs for oil. So you want things that have oil counters. I think I totally agree with that. Okay. Another four drop I want to talk about. Hazardous Blast. Three and a red sorcery. Deals the damage to each creature your opponent's control. Creatures they control can't block this turn. What are your thoughts on this? Have you been, are you always main decking this, never main decking this? I'm sure it's somewhere in between, but how do you decide? I think it is rarely for me. If I feel like I am lacking interaction or I feel like my deck is going to be 
prone to ending up in a board stall mm-hmm. or my deck is really soft for whatever reason to like toxic or artifacts or the decks that are going to run a lot of X ones. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll try to include it, but I have not been prioritizing it or valuing it at all in the draft. And I think more often than not, it ends up in my sideboard. But there's a lot of people that are spouting that it is the truth. I'm always very reluctant to run situational cards like this. Um, You know, the faults or effects are not great, in my opinion, the sort of whatever the cosmotronic wave throwing back to uh guilds of ravnica this is very much like that card I, I i'm reluctant to run cards like that but there's a lot of folks talking about it it is uh high up the rankings of the game at hand win rate commons i'm um, currently on 17 land so just keeping my eye on it and i've run it to good effect i like it uh, the more uh rummagers that i have the the two drop rummagers with oil counters uh the happier i am to run a copy of this in my deck that checks out makes sense to me talked about branch blight stalker already that's the three one toxic two in green i think that card is highly medium and very much replacement level um and a card that i think has overperformed for me this past week is rust fine cultivator the single green one two can tap to put an oil counter on itself and then tap to remove an oil counter to untap a land I think this is just really good at having inherent synergy with the oil gorge or troll at common and green is good. You know, you talked last week about how important it was for oil cards to come into play with oil counters. Well, this is almost as close as that, I would say, in terms of being able to fuel itself with getting oil counters on it um, for your oil counter payoffs. I think this is uh, this is a really good card. Well, and also its best home is red green oil, right? That's where you're yes. happiest to play it. You can do it yes. in blue green oil as well, but that's a significantly less good deck. I mean, I just play this in green white. Oh, wow. I think this is just a good card, like especially in green, red and green, white, where you probably have some equipment to slap on this. I mean, you put a barbed batter fist on this in red, green, baby, you got a two one. You got a two one. That's just doing something for you. You know, I just think I just think it's good. Well, and also it blanks crawling chorus and things like that from your opponent, which is huge early on in the game. Yep. I think the other thing, too, is that in red, green, it's best home. Like your four drops are just mono bangers and getting your four drops out on turn three is awesome. Yep, I totally agree. Uh, sleeper card right now, against all odds. Shout out to Phil Collins. Uh, we got to talk about three and a white. <laughs> Uncommon. Uh, choose one or both. You're going to be choosing both. You flicker an artifact or creature you control, so, you know, blinks it, and or return an artifact or creature from your graveyard with mana value three or less to the battlefield. This card is great. It is really not hard to get a situation where you blink uh, four Mirrodin equipment and get another 2-2. You blink uh, Basilica Shepherd and get two more Mites. And then you're rebuying whatever, like some really good two or three drop creature that has value, a Vorak or something like that. Like, I just think this card is excellent in, God forbid, in blue-white, they trade it off with Eye of Malkator and you get that back, you know? Like, I just think this card is really good as a one-of in every white deck. Well, or your opponent has put Planner Disruption, the white pacifism on your creature or claustrophobia and you get to flip it out from underneath that it's just been backbreaking every time it's been cast against me i've never beaten it i've run it a couple <laughs> times since and it was like fine to very good depending on the, the situation yeah i mean yeah there, there have definitely been a few times where i haven't gotten to do both things but that's that's the exception not the rule 
I've been really impressed by Cacophony Scamp, the red one drop uncommon. Um, not because of the sacrifice, you know, when it deals damage, you can sack it to proliferate. But the fact that when it dies, it deals damage equal to its power. This has been really annoying to face. It just, it, again, this is the kind of thing you want to be looking at early in the format is how many times when you face a card are you like, man, that's annoying. <laughs> and that's what happened to me with Scamp, where I was just like, this keeps being annoying for me to face. I should start taking this higher. And then I did, and I've been happy about it. Well, also the Wombo combo with Barb Batterfist. <laughs> Build your own shock. Build your own shock, baby. Uh, speaking of red one-drop uncommons, Gleeful Demolition. Single red, destroy an artifact. If you controlled that artifact, you make 3-1-1 goblins. I have faced enough, and I've been playing exclusively best of one so far, faced enough artifacts that as soon as it hit the battlefield, I went, oh, I have no way to deal with that. Then I was like, should I start main decking this kind of effect? And then I was like, well, my red decks often have, you know, two to three barbed batter fists in them because no one takes that card. And so then I started picking Gleeful Demolition and having the guts to run it, even though it's not really a synergistic card. And I've been pretty darn happy with it. I've blown up many an incubation sack with it. And then there have been times where I faced like a bunch of mites and I go, cool, now my barbed batter fist is three one ones to block those. Yeah, that sounds awesome to me. I have not played it or played against it yet. Ben, you're a lover of Colossal Dreadmaw. Talk to me about Silvok Battle Chair. It's unplayable, right? What? I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> unplayable. It can't be unplayable. Let's talk about this. So this is the <laughs> 4GG for Mirrodin Equipment. Gives plus four, plus four in Trample. Has a re-equip cost of five green, green. I had a lot of people want... I had a really, really nutso synergy red, green deck the other day. People wanted me to play the battle chair. I was like, there's no room for this. I have plenty of late game. I had two incubation sacks and two of the... What is it? The edifice? The red oil thing? That's the wombo combo where you get to just like put an oil counter on the sack. Make a 3-3. Three, three. Now you're moved an oil counter. You get to make a 1-1. One, one. Just like uber late game power there. Um, but... The trample on this is large. I do think there are decks that like this. I don't think really good red-green decks are are wanting it. I think it's the same thing about Chimney Rabble. The more synergistic your deck is, the less interested you are in this card. The less synergistic your deck is, I think the more you like this. Yeah, that's fair. But like, it's so it's a C. Like you yeah. can play it in the format, but it is not a good card. Wow. Now you're going to get some hate. You can send, <laughs> I know, send all of your letters to <laughs> Benjamin Wernie at. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone's just excited that it's a chair that you can like <laughs> attack people with, like to meme. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've been thoroughly underwhelmed by the battle chair. I've lost to it. Like if you get in a certain game state, but I think you're not supposed to get in the game state where battle chair is a good card in the format right now. <laughs> I agree. All right. You want to talk about your favorite? I do. Mandible Justiciar. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, one and a white for a 2 1 lifelink. And when an artifact ETBs, it gets plus one plus one. This card is broken in the format because of how racy the format is, how quick it is, how difficult it is to block. Everything that is, it's tilting people about the format and making them not like it. Mandible Justiciar just makes your life so much easier in that regard. And there's so many cards that combo well with it, where it's attacking as a 4 3 lifelink or a 4 4 lifelink if you animate it with Unctus's Retrofitter or mm. whatever. There's just so many ways to make it so, so, so powerful. I totally agree. This card's awesome. And lastly, I want to shout out Malkator's Watcher. That's the one in a blue 1 1 flying vigilance. And whenever it dies, you get to draw a card. These death trigger cards are generally not great, but I think this is such 
good glue. It plays really well in any blue artifacts deck and also is just good and annoying against like the barbed batter fists of the world or the green three one toxic two, the branch blight stalker or crawling chorus. Like people or just don't want to siphoner. Yeah, people just don't want to attack into it. It's just a really good card in the format. Totally agree. Well, in classic Lords of Limited fashion, we are almost, uh, what, 40 minutes into the episode before we've gotten into our main topic. So we're going to (laughs) take an ad break and then we'll be back with the trial of Phyrexia All Will Be One. So Ben, have you thought about how you're going to spend your massive winnings from SCG Con Indy? Well, there's one thing I won't be needing to spend it on, an overpriced phone plan from Mint Mobile. Because they don't exist. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Reading through the terms and fees of a phone plan can feel like looking for all the card types off of an Atraxa ETB trigger. That's why Mint Mobile makes everything cheap and easy. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash lol. That's mintmobile.com slash lol. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash lol. And now, back to the show. All right, Ben, do you have your, your powdered wig on? Are you ready to get... The defense going here for Phyrexia All Will Be One? Your Honor, I am prepared. All right. I, I first up, as the representative for the people, <laughs> I have some expert eyewitness firsthand accounts from creators and pros for the prosecution to reference. First, Deathsea has said that MTG Phyrexia is a completely tragic draft set, miserable, awful, uninspired. Luis Scott Vargas I liked Bro Draft a lot more in week two, and it ended up being my favorite format of the year. That said, I haven't been loving it so far, it being Phyrexia All Be One. Austin Bursovich says, no, it's not too early. We don't need to give it a chance. This new Phyrexian set will go down as one of the all-time worst limited formats. It is truly heinous. Countless others complaining of the format's speed, the importance of the die roll, planeswalkers at rare and not mythic, and much more. What do you have to say for yourself, sir? I am saying I would like Lord Tupperware's bullet point to be read here. I don't have high hopes for this format. Hoping I'm wrong, though. And then Hedology replying, I'm thinking you're not wrong. Thinking you're not wrong. And I'm thinking the people are not thinking that I'm wrong here, Ben. So first point I'd like to uh, to present to you here. The format is too fast. We've seen the charts. We've seen the data. Blisteringly fast format since Arena has started. And the die roll could not matter more. I think a 55% edge to someone going first rather than second. How can that be a good limited format? I just think of all of my vices as a magic player, I'm so glad I don't care about play and draw. It's completely out of your control. Just stop tracking it for your mental health and use your mental energy on something you can control. You can have zero effect on whether you're on the play or on the draw. And yes, maybe you can use your advantage. I'm on the draw this game. I'm probably going to be behind. How can I turn the tempo around? But just complaining about the play mattering too much or you not being on the play is useless. Just stop. (laughs) What about my complaint equity? Yeah, your complaint equity is great. I like shout it out on Twitter. You're the unluckiest person on the world. It's just not helpful. And there are ways that you can turn things around to your advantage in the format. So we've talked about 
removal being good in Phyrexia all we want. But I don't even think we really said why. We just said that it was good. And I think the it's easy to assume that it's because there are bombs in the format, right? There are tons of good rares that you want removal to interact with. It's the opposite. What is the opposite? You need, like, the removal that you need is the cheap removal. You need to stop the snowballing from happening. That's my feeling, at least. That's what I, like, when I'm going 1-3 and 2-3 and 0-3, it's because I'm on the draw and they play their Pestilent Siphon or whatever and I don't have Hex Gold Slash. And that's usually my fault from the draft. Yes, no, I completely agree. That's what I was going to say is that, yeah. you know, you like sometimes you are going to be able to kill their rare with your removal, and that's awesome. But the importance of the removal is to turn the tempo of the game around, which yep. is why Hex Gold Slash, the shock is invaluable, and all the other two mana removal, Ruthless Predation and Green is uh, like a little bit less good, but still very good. Anoint with Affliction, which is the black exile, something three or less, like you don't need to turn on Toxic for Anoint to be insane if you're playing black. Planner Disruption, the white pacifism, all of those cards like that are crucial to help you turn the tempo around in the early turns. Like normally the the thinking with removal or the, the common wisdom, the heuristic, if you will, is to save your removal for your opponent's bomb. You should be firing off removal early and often to try to change the tempo of the game in Phyrexia all be one. Well, and especially if you're identifying what cards are going to snowball. So certainly toxic. And I think certainly paying attention to toxic when it's in a corrupted color, like when, when they're black, white specifically, I am really interested in turning off corrupted. Uh, honestly, blue, black, when you're facing good blue, black decks, that's important to note as well. Um, you know, black, green, I'm less interested in it. Green, white, I'm less interested in it. But the snowbally things, those are, because that's what you're going to face more often like yeah sure you're gonna face their bombs and you, oh no did i fire off my removal but when we say when we're talking about removal is good and you need to prioritize it highly it's the cheap stuff that is going to stop the snowballing from happening because that's what's happening most of your games yes completely agree so are you on board with hex gold slash over volt charge the shock over the deal three it pains me to say it but yes i am yeah that's finally where i'm at too like first copy of hex gold slash definitely over volt charge Right. So that's pack one, pick one. Like there's, I think context matters later on. Like there are some decks where proliferate's going to matter more and the volt charge is going to be more important. Some, there are going to be some, some spots where even though if the proliferate matters more, my curve dictates that I need to take slash. But pack one, pick one, I am on slash overcharge. And I think also cards with life gain, and there's not a ton of them, but they can really help you win or stabilize against fast starts from your opponent. So Enter Mandel Justiciar, that card is great. We've talked about that already. Oil Gorge Troll is another one. I just realized yesterday you always gain the three life. So that's pretty yep. good. Uh, so it's three GG for a three, four. You gain three one ETBs. And if you have an oil counter, you get a draw card. That's really annoying when you're trying to beat down and your opponent plays an Oil Gorge Troll. Like that's another way to combat fast starts. And I think lastly, the other thing people need to do is stop keeping sketchy hands like the format dictates that you have to be on board by turn two. I think that is like full stop. You have to follow that rule. And if you don't have a two in your hand, you probably have to mulligan if you're on the draw like you can if you're on the play, keep a hand with just three drops and maybe hope to draw a two drop. I think that's fine. But if you're on the draw and your first play is turn three, I think you're just probably getting run over more often than not but if you didn't mulligan it's your fault for getting run over i think i also think the other kind of hand and i'm saying this purely for myself that i need to mulligan more and i'm sure that other people are not doing this enough so let's say you've got an 8-8 mana split eight forests eight mountains your opening hand is forest forest green two drop four red cards you're on the draw and you go well i got a turn two play 
I'm going to draw a mountain. If you don't draw a mountain, you lose that game. So I think I'm just, I think for myself, I need to start maybe not auto mulliganing those hands, but really thinking hard about mulliganing those on the draw. Because if you can't stop the snowball on the draw, I think you're going to lose a lot of the time. Yes, I think that is true. But I also think there are ways to do it. And I think people aren't making an effort to try to do it and instead are just complaining when they lose when they're on the draw. Well, whatever. Order in the court, Ben. <laughs> how about how about this next point? You you can't deny that blue is terabad omega lol. <laughs> I can and I will, sir. I can and I will. Blue is playable for sure. Like whatever your opinions are about blue, playable. I would it's take like blue was an AFR. It was terrible in AFR and it's terrible <laughs> no. here. No, 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 no. Blue is actively good from my perspective, especially if you're in a pot of people that think it isn't playable, which is most of the people drafting Frexia all will be one right now, it seems like. But I cannot begin to express how untrue the narrative about blue being bad is. I think I have Malkator and we, we shouted this out last week and we've alluded to it this week, but it's a huge part of what makes blue decks tick, which is tuna blue ETB scry two. And whenever an artifact ETBs, it turns into a four four. That's the key to drafting blue in the format. And yes, blue is generally artifact focused and it's kind of narrow in the same way that black toxic decks are kind of narrow, except blue's way underdrafted right now. So similarly to when black will start being good if people ever stop, you know, overdrafting it. Blue is awesome right now because you can just wheel Eye of Malkator, which is the best or the most important blue common, really reliably in drafts. Yep. And I will say, as someone who has drafted a lot of Eye of Malkators this week, and I've gone seven wins with many Eyes decks, and I have gotten much less than seven wins with Eyes decks, the important thing about them is if you are going all in on Eyes, you must, must, must have ways to impact the board on turns one and two. I have gotten myself into trouble by drafting a bunch of surgical spell bombs and prophetic prisms because they're cantripping ways to trigger my eyes, and then my hand doesn't affect the board until turn three, and then it's not even affecting the board as a way to block on turn three, and then my eye deck folds, especially on the draw. So you have to prioritize ways to impact the board before turn three because you assume your turn three is not impacting the board, you know? Right. That makes sense. And I think it's also worth noting, eyes decks can be blue white. That's the default. But blue red for sure is also very good. Especially with how underdrafted Barbed Batter Fist is right now. Yes. The card is criminally underrated. Yes, yes, yes. And I think the other thing to note about eyes decks, and I've seen some of this like people pushing back against eye being good. They're like, well, I had this deck with three eye of Malkator's and it wasn't good here. And the deck has only 10 artifacts in it other than eye of Malkator. If you're drafting around eye, you have to commit like your deck should be every card in it is an artifact, except your removal spells, in my opinion, or almost every card in it should be an artifact. And that sounds like it's really hard to do. It's honestly not very hard to do at all if you're disciplined during the draft. And that deck is actually open. Sub 15 artifacts in an eyes deck feels dicey to me, I'm going to be honest. And I but and that does that sounds like, well, how often can that happen? It can happen very often as long as you're drafting it correctly. Right. And I think the other knock against eyes is that it can't block in a format that's very aggressive. So it's bad, but it also does things really well by not being able to block. And it, it can sometimes also with the flash cat, the two and a blue three, two that taps something when it ETBs. 
-hmm. that card's been very impressive in blue as well just as a card in general i think but it also dodges all your opponent's sorcery speed removal like playing against i when you have sorcery speed removal or shocks or deal threes as a red deck is also a real feel bad like so yes it doesn't block but it plays offense so 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 well all right so maybe blue doesn't suck after all fine but you must concede ben that the drafts are on rails you keep saying it it's just an archetype format so snooze you find the open archetype you get into it boring no decisions to be made (laughs) yes i mean you can have drafts that are boring where you start down an archetype and that archetype's open like those are great but i've had the complete opposite experience with drafts in the format because the archetypes are really distinctive which i think is true for the most part other than red cards just being really great and playing well in all the red archetypes you get super rewarded during the draft if you find the open distinct archetype that no one else is playing you know you identify that red white equipment's open and you're wheeling the key cards for your deck you identify that red green oil is open and you're wheeling key cards for your deck even something like white black toxic if for whatever reason that's not being drafted in your pod you get the nuts if you find the open archetype and i think it's really worth hedging on powerful cards that either can go in multiple archetypes or maybe even disparate cards that go down different archetypal paths and try to delay the decision as long as you can to end up in whatever archetype is open. That dance of the draft that I think I didn't quite get last week when we talked about, you know, locking in your decision earlier or, you know, figuring out the open lane or having to jump ship for something or being able to fall back on red green being good at common or I have Malkator being a game plan at common. I think all of those are really interesting decisions. And I find myself, the gameplay, I am less jazzed about currently, but I find myself really excited to fire up every draft. And it's not like I'm actually less excited about opening a bomb rare. Like, yeah, that feels good. But then I'm like nervous about getting married to it because I do feel like reading the draft is the most important thing right now. Oh, there's two more points I want to push back against. I think the gameplay is pretty good. I don't mean that it's bad. I'd mean I'm bad. (laughs) I'm (laughs) losing. And I feel like it's not because I'm building bad decks. I think it's because I'm, I think I'm maybe not making the right mulligan decisions or not make, not building my decks correctly at the end of the draft, whatever. I'm, so I'm not, it's not, I'm not, it's not, it's not, it's not you, it's me. Okay. I was going to say, cause I like, I think the games are really exciting. I think there's a lot of decisions in the early turns mm-hmm. and a lot of figuring out who's the beat down. And I, I don't know. I think the format rewards like macro understanding of what's happening in the games in the early turns. And that's something I'm really good at as a magic player well and i think and sort of seeing how the game is going to play out so being like well if i do this now what does that look like three turns from now is really important and it's not something that you can do very well when you're like sleep deprived and trying to draft with one hand at 5 a.m you know that's just <laughs> something sure. that's just a learning curve i'm i'm uh, i'm on right now <laughs> for sure for sure well and i think too uh, uh, with the draft portion I think they're not on rails. Sometimes in in an archetype format like this, sometimes they are. But again, I think that's the exception, not the rule. Sometimes, yeah, you're just, you open up, you start down, whatever, the blue-white path, blue-white is stupid open, easy peasy, fine. 
That doesn't happen that often. Right. And I do think the format really rewards understanding the rules of the format, which are, you know, it's fast. You got to be able to affect the board early. You got to be able to interact early, that sort of stuff. And then drafting well within those rules. Like you got to make sure you end up with the tools at the end of the draft to play by the rules. Well, fine, whatever. Okay, so maybe the draft's not on rails, but at least some of the mechanics are just like so finicky. Like oil is there's too many moving parts for this to actually be good. Or toxic or whatever. And I think there's a lot of different ways to get around that. We talked about last week prioritizing cards that enter the battlefield with oil. And there is some tension. And I think being aware of that tension with cards like, for example, oil payoffs like Urbrass Anointer, the three and a red four two that deals damage equal to the number of oil counters you have on different permanents when it ETBs or Icker Plate Golem, the three mana two three that gives cards with oil counters on them plus one plus one and they ETB with an extra oil counter. Those cards require you to have a high density of oil while also not having oil themselves. So there's tension there, right? Like you can't have an oil deck with three Icker Plate Golems and three Urbrass Anointers. There's going to be tension there. I, I would find playing one or the other of those cards from the deck techs I've seen is better than trying to jam both of them in your deck. And similar to Eye of Malkator, they ask things of you. So you only have, once you take those cards, once you pick you know two Urbrass Anointers and an Icker Plate Golem, you should mentally be thinking, I have maybe three to four more slots for non-oil cards that are probably going to be removal. And if you're not keeping that in mind during the draft, you're likely to end up with too many non-oil cards. And then you have a bunch of tension during the deck building thing. So you just need to be aware. There are a lot of cards in the format that ask things of you. And if you don't do what they ask of you, they those cards that you probably picked fairly highly end up being not good, as well as making other cards around them not good because your deck isn't a focused synergistic archetype. Yeah, but that's only the case for oil. It's so finicky. What about something like corrupted and toxic that's just like so pushed and so easily snowballed? Like it's so hard to face those decks. (laughs) That one is wild to me. I've also had the opposite experience there too. Like I've seen on Twitter several times, like format's dumb, you start with 10 life. I think like referring to you only getting 10 poison counters. I think Toxic is really well balanced in that regard. Like, I feel like I have plenty of time. I'm a little nervous about getting to the third poison counter because that unlocks stuff, especially for white black. I really try to not get the third poison counter against white black. But honestly, if you have cheap interaction, the poison corrupted game plan generally falls apart from your opponent's perspective. And I say from your opponent's perspective because I haven't played Toxic and Corrupted that much myself because I've preferred to draft the Hex Gold Slashes and just crush those decks, honestly. Wow. Must be nice. I guess you're not (laughs) facing any of the unbeatable, stupid bomb rares. I know I won't get any pushback from you on this point, Ben, that the rares are just stupid. You hate bombs as much as the next person. I do hate bombs as much as the next person. And there are a lot of unbeatable and dumb rares in the format. I don't know. I, I feel like I've achieved like a Zen in Magic the Gathering. I was complaining an awful lot and I did some reflecting over over New Year's. And I do think I've come to a bit of an understanding with rares and magic in general. And I feel I'm in a good place right now. Maybe I won't be six months from now, but I think there are a lot of things you can do to lessen the impact of the bombs. And I think one of the main reasons the bombs don't bother me as much here is that the commons and uncommons are insanely pushed as well. And you can have a good, fast, aggressive game plan at common and uncommon. And honestly, I would argue that that's more important than having a clunky deck with 
two to three bomb rares, you know, at the four or five, six mana value slots on your curve, that the commons are good enough that you can fight back and win before the rares come down or have enough of a board presence that when the rares come down, you have wiggle room to try to beat them. I've beaten the Eternal Wanderer, you, you name it. Like there's some go- there's some bombs I- I've played against and beaten them. There's definitely the tools there to fight against them. I totally agree. And I think, like I said, they're kind of, they're not always a blessing for your drafts when you open them because maybe they throw a huge wrench and you have to like be super duper disciplined to not pivot to white in pack three for the Wanderer and just take Hex Gold Slash or whatever. Or maybe you don't get married to white for that card early because white is being contested and you have to jump ship to red green. Like I think they throw in enough of a wrench into a lot of the drafts that they're more skill testing than not. Yes. If you gave me the choice between focus deck, good synergy, good cheap removal, or clunkier deck with two to three good rares, I'm choosing the cheap synergistic cheap removal deck 10 out of 10 times. But what about these linear archetypes, Ben? Like, I mean, so sure, maybe the drafts aren't on rails, but you can also like weirdly feel like a color is open and then get cut or like it's open in pack one, then not in pack three. And so you get all these wonky signals. The drafts just feel like they're totally random. I agree that they can feel that way. And I I think that's a feature and not a bug, in my opinion. I think that's a really cool part of the format. And it makes you shift how you're drafting the format. You really have to draft archetypes or consider when you pick a card, which archetypes it could go in or which archetypes it's likely to push you towards. And I think that adds a lot of depth and complexity to the drafts that's not normally there and is not something we've seen very often. Like I haven't felt this distinct archetypes pull really outside of a lot of master sets. Honestly, like I can remember master sets that felt that way and they're hard to draft. And I think you need to make a lot of considerations when you pick each and every card. So, you know, you're taking a green card that's toxic. That's not necessarily going to be good in green red or green white, even if you're if you're drafting this green white's beatdown deck that you're talking about. So just knowing what cards imply when you pick them is a huge part of leveling up your draft game in the format. And and really, I think we'll talk about this in, in future weeks, maybe even next week immediately about like, what are those cards? What cards are giving you flexibility? What cards are giving you high ceilings, low floors? What is the toss up between the two? Are you making tiebreakers on? Well, I have a white card already. And so I'd rather end up in white red than green white. So I'll take this red card over this green card, even though I think this red card is slightly worse than this green card. Those are all of the slightly small nuanced choices you have to make in the drafts. And if you're not thinking on that level right now, and you think there aren't draft decisions to be made in this format, you see that disparity? You see the dissonance there? Like that's the problem. That's what you're missing. Yeah. And I think it's it's small and it's nuanced, like you said. And sometimes it's even educated guessing. But making the guess educatedly like gives you more chances to hit more often in the time. And one of the rules I've made for myself recently that I think is super helpful is I've been drafting rather than drafting it as a Naya format, I've been drafting it as a Just Guy format, white, blue, red. And I really want my two drops and my early picks in the draft to be artifacts so that I have the option to play an artifact focused deck if I want to. But then those artifacts are also just good in normal decks as well. 
But the, the tiebreaker between taking a card that's an artifact or not has been big for me. Well, that's all fine and good, Ben. And you make you make some some excellent points. But Your Honor, I have one last point that I think will really hammer home what the people are complaining about in this format, which is that it's too fast and you can't block in the early turns because the combat tricks are too good, too cheap, and too punishing. Yes, I think blocking is generally a tough plan in the format. You can do it. I would I would push back against the combat tricks being too good or too backbreaking. The only one that's really backbreaking is complete devotion in a toxic aggro deck, the plus two plus two draw card if the creature had toxic for one and a white. That one's a feel bad for sure. But then your opponent got a toxic deck to come together. So you need to give them some props there for that. But I also think just removal is so key to fighting back against tricks or going back to mandible justiciar, having those lifelink creatures so that you don't have to block and can protect your life total in a different way, maybe or just waiting a turn to block. Let's say you've, you know, you've done your research, you've done your homework, you've drafted hex gold slashes highly, you've drafted those volt charges highly. Maybe don't block on turn two and you've got your curve low. And then on turn three, you can play another two drop and hold up hex gold slash and then you block and then you blow out their combat trick. I think there is ways to fight back against the aggressive starts if you're smart about it and patient about it. And most importantly, have the tools. I just feel like there are so many people at the ends of drafts that don't have the tools in their toolbox at the end of the draft in their deck to do what the format is asking of you. And if you don't have those tools, yeah, combat tricks are going to blow you out and you're going to be forced to block with your two drop into into a combat trick without a way to interact. And it's going to feel really bad. But if you come prepared, I think you can work your way around those combat tricks and work your way off the back foot from the draw. Well, unfortunately, the jury is still out. But I think in the coming weeks, we're going to really be able to unpack a lot of what this format has. And honestly, Ben, I'm really happy with what you put together in this episode, because I think you just make so many great points. And this is I, I do want to shout out like you, you know, were vulnerable in one of our last episodes of the year talking about, you know, you're managing your your tilt or whatever on stream. You've got some pretty harsh feedback in, in our discord for some from some folks. And I've seen like a huge shift in you on stream this year, and it's delightful to see. And I think like your sort of perspective on this format, it would be so easy, I think, for you to feel the way that the masses feel. I think part of, I think the contrarian in you perhaps is seeing the masses (laughs) hate it. And you're like, I'm going to fight against that. And honestly, I think you're fighting, you're, you're using your powers for good right now and not for evil. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I appreciate the kind words. And to people that don't like the format, I, I just some non-courtroom advice. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're off. The powdered wigs are off. The, the powdered wigs are off. I think the most important thing is making sure you follow the rules. So like, yes. in your perspective, what would you say just the rules are? So I think as plainly and succinctly as I can, I would say for the draft, you have to understand the nuance of what the colors are doing with respect to the 10 color pairs and not to the colors themselves. And I think for the games, slash, this is also about deck building, for deck building and for the games, you have to enable the snowball for yourself and stop the snowball from your opponent. Yeah, for sure. And like that's overarching, right? And to yes. boil it down simpler, I would say you have to end up with cheap removal mm-hmm. and you have to end up with a good curve. Like if you if you don't have those two things, you're already not bringing to the table 
what you need to bring to the table to potentially be successful. And then past that, you've got to make good mulligan decisions. And if if you follow those rules and you end up with those things in your toolbox, you can make the game go long. Like I've played tons of Phyrexia all we won games that are very interesting. And, you know, we've started racing and then maybe we've stalled out and the game's gone long. The format has a variety of different things to offer if you come and you play by the rules. And I think it's easy to complain about the format because you're not following the rules. Like I gave this analogy on stream yesterday, and I think this is what ultimately rings true for me about the format is if I'm teaching and I have a rule in my classroom that you're not allowed to have your phone out on your music stand and a kid has their phone out on their music stand and I, you know, take their phone away or I tell them to put it away, their reaction usually is to get mad about it, which makes no sense at all because we've established up front that there's a rule that you're not allowed to have cell phones on your music stand in the classroom, right? They knew that going in, and yet they still want to complain about it when they get in trouble for having their, their phone on their music stand. If you're going into the format knowing that the rules are you have to have cheap removal, you have to have two drops, you have to mulligan well, you have to get on board early, you have to interact early, and you don't have those tools in your deck, and then you get run over, you're just complaining about something that you you knew the rules going in. And I guess you might not like the rules and then you might not like the format, but I think some people just don't even know that the rules are there. Like, so they're getting caught off guard by the fact that, you know, they had to have cheap interaction and they had to have two drops and then they're not liking it as a result of not knowing the rules ahead of time. So I think you just need to make sure you're really informed about the rules and follow the rules. And then if you do that, I think you're much more likely to have a good time in, in the format or in the classroom, as it were. <laughs> I totally agree. I think that's a, a great point and a great way to segue us into, let's do a roundtable. We haven't gotten to, to do one here, and I think it'll help us put into practice a lot of the updates we talked about before the trial and a lot of the points from the trial and see how we're approaching drafting this format. All right, pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. There's Surgical Skull Bomb, one mana for the artifact can pay one, sack it to draw a card, or two in a blue, sack it to return target creature to its owner's hand and draw a card. You can only do that at sorcery speed. I've had some people do the the mouse over of shame on their surgical skull bombs mm-hmm. in this format that thought, thought they could do it at instant speed. So make sure you know yep. that's only sorcery speed. Uh, Ruthless Predation, one on a green sorcery, target creature you control gets plus one, plus two until end of turn. It fights target creature you don't control. There's Contagious Vorak, two and a green for a 3-3. When it ETBs, look at the top four cards of your library. You can reveal a land from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Or if you didn't do that, you can proliferate. There's also Thrumming Bird, one and a blue for the 1-1 flyer. Deals combat damage to a player, proliferate. And I think a card that largely hasn't panned out, Scheming Aspirant, one and a black for a 1-3. And whenever you proliferate, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Yeah, I've seen that card in multiples in a handful of blue-black trophy decks. But I think that's, you know, how many blue-black bad decks have had that in them or how many blue-black decks have not had that and failed, you know? So I think I agree. It's largely not panned out. I think this pick is pretty straightforward. Uh, This seems like a pretty clear Vorak to me. Yeah, that's what I landed on as well. Contagious Vorak, pack one, pick one. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You're feeling great here. There's no real commons in consideration, no top commons. And rare's missing, and the best uncommon and the only uncommon in consideration is Evolving Adaptive. Green for a 0-0, ETBs with an oil counter, gets plus one, plus one for each oil counter on it, and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, that creature has greater power or toughness than Evolving Adaptive, put an oil counter on it. 
Yeah, uh, Adaptive is nuts. One of the best uncommons in the set. Probably, certainly one of Green's best uncommons. Great to follow up Vorak with that. Here's a question for you. Let's say Evolving Adaptive is a blank, and this pack is largely full of blanks. And we don't need to read out all the cards, but I am curious, what would you take if Adaptive wasn't a good card here? I mean, this pack is terrible looking at it. Cards that I would be considering are... Duelist of Deep Faith, one and a white, toxic, 2-2, two, two, as long as it's your turn, has first strike, and get Taxi and Raptor, I think, two and a blue, one, four, ETBs with three oil counters, you can remove an oil counter to give it plus one, minus one until end of turn. There's nothing else I would ever even really hope to play, I think, and I think I would land on the Duelist as a nod to just wanting to get a two drop in my slot to maybe open up future avenues. On, on picks where I'm hedging, I just have defaulted to taking things lower on the curve because that opens up opportunities for you to be flexible or pivot down the road. So I, I think I would take Duelist and I would put zero weight on it going forward unless I had stuff that started to push me down that route for other reasons other than the Duelist. And I think in these picks, defaulting to lower on the curve, and I think defaulting to, it sounds like I'm defaulting to Naya, you're defaulting to Jeskai, but neither of us are defaulting to black cards. Yes, completely agree. Yeah, if I have the chance to, I have to get forced down the black train at this point. So you've got solid green common, great green uncommon. What What's happening in pick three? Uh, pick three, there's some good commons here. I, the standout certainly is Hex Gold Slash. Red for an instant deals two damage target creature. If it was toxic, it deals four damage to that creature instead. Uh, there's also Anoint with Affliction, one on a black. Um, exile target creature if it has mana value three or less. Corrupted, exile that creature instead if its controller has three or more poison counters. And then a couple uncommons in Ribskiff, which has largely been terrible in the format, uh, which has been <gasps> surprising. Gasp! <laughs> you don't think Ribskiff is bad? I love to play Eye of Malkator on three, Ribskiff on four, and then lose <laughs> the game on turn five. That's my one of my favorite play patterns. No, nah, Ribskiff is too slow for the format. I mean, normally yeah. a vehicle that cantrips like this would just be a good card, but you can't not affect the board on turn four. Yeah, the, the crew three is also really tough. The, the spot where I have liked this is blue red artifacts when I have batter fists because the three ones that batter fists make can crew this. But I agree, this card has largely failed. So this is between hex gold slash and anoint here. And it's which path you want to push down? I mean, I, you know what path I want to push down. I want to push down red. I, again, I don't think this has felt like a pretty clear pick for pick one, two, three for me. Yes, I agree. Hex gold slash here over anoint. And early on in the format, I might have taken anoint here because oh, I was pretty sure hyped about toxic and I thought anoint looked super busted. But hex gold slash being one mana is just irreplaceable and you're putting yourself on track to get into the best deck in the format. Mm -hmm. So pack one, pick four. There's several options here. There's another surgical skull bomb. There's Rustvine Cultivator, green for the one, two taps to put an oil on itself, and you can tap it to remove an oil from it to untap target land. And there's also Kadoltha Cackler, two in a red, two, three trample. Whenever it attacks, it gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the number of permanents you control with oil counters on them. Yeah, the Cackler is so interesting because I feel like red green gets glutted at three so easily. And in terms of oil payoffs, this is one of the least exciting to me, but it's a good card. It's a good card for sure and plays especially well with hazardous blast with the way to falter and have your opponent not be able to block anything yeah sweet i am gonna diverge from you here sir i would take Rustvine cultivator i like getting deeper into green i like getting another one drop i like getting another card that you know doesn't come into play with oil but can get oil pretty easily um i've liked cultivator quite a bit here i think maybe i'm a little lower on Rustvine cultivator than you are which is probably why we're diverging here i i see cultivator as fairly like i want it in red green oil but i'm not like 
crazy sad if I don't end up with it. And maybe I need to adjust that opinion. But I like Surgical Skull Bomb here. I just think it's a significantly better card than Cultivator. And I don't want to lock in on an archetype too early. Like we have a great start to Red Green. If Red Green keeps flowing, I don't think we're going to be sad about missing Rustvine Cultivator. And Skull Bomb opens up avenues for us to pivot into Blue Red or Blue Green or something else else entirely down the road to me this is just a power level gap thing here and that's why i took surgical skull bomb so here's the thing so i want to push back here and this is this is why i liked this draft log is because i like this pick um a couple things one i feel like you can get skull bombs criminally later than this like yes you and i think it's the best blue common but people don't think one it is and two that like there are best blue commons you know like getting skull bombs late is very easy I don't want to now, like you said, like maybe it gives me wiggle room to get into blue green. That is the one deck I don't want to get into. But also like how I'm viewing Cultivator, and I'm curious if other folks out there are viewing it this way. I'm sure we'll get feedback about this discussion. Um, But how I'm viewing Cultivator in the context of moving forward in this draft with Vorak, Adaptive, and now Cultivator is I'm happy with these three green cards in any green deck. And that I think is the biggest gap of how we're viewing it. You're like, yeah, I like this in red, green, oil. And I like this anywhere because of the inherent synergy that Cultivator and Troll have together. And that I just like want that package in any green deck. Yeah, that's probably where the gap is for me because I have hardly ever played. In fact, I don't think I've cast Oil Gorger Troll in the format yet because so many of my green decks are beatdown focused. And I, I want other cards that attack better than Oil Gorger Troll in my green deck. So it sounds like there's a whole variety of green deck yeah, okay. that I am missing out on. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So so this could be it could be that later, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll view this pick as one of us is clearly right. Or this could just be a, you know, these are close enough and you just have to understand what one pick means versus the other. Well, and I think so. Let me ask you this, too. Let's say you know, oh, take- he's hit. <laughs> this is the first. Let me ask you this of one. OK, <laughs> I'm just curious because I think this is an interesting discussion. And I think this is also things people need to be thinking about in the draft. And this is where my head is at. So I feel great about the start we have so far. Mm-hmm. And if we take Cultivator mm-hmm. and then like next pack is pretty empty and you see an eye of Malkator you're still taking I here and you're not very sad about it, then pick five, right? This is hypothetical. Correct. See, I would I would feel much better about taking I, like having taken Surgical Skull Bomb here. So I'm trying to think ahead to, I, and it sounds like I just don't see all the places where Rust, Rustfine Cultivator can go. I think that's where the biggest difference is. I just trust if the I deck is what I'm going to get into, and I have, I have I jump ship for I at any point, any time, <laughs> I'll throw anything away. I have no, you should probably not do that. That's probably not good draft practice. It's probably listeners. bad drafting. But, but the situation you're describing, like what I like is we've got a good start here, but nothing that I need to like get married to slash I feel like I never want to get married to anything in the format. We have a good start, but I want to leave myself open to all avenues. And when that avenue is no one's drafting blue and no one's drafting the eye deck, great, I'll do that instead. So if I'm not giving up on anything, like it depends, you know, if, if next pack I see oil gorge or troll versus I, certainly I'm taking a troll over I. And that would be a spot where I would feel bad like about taking skull bomb here because then I'm going to feel pulled. That's why I just don't want to take the Skull Bomb here in the sense of like, I see what you see about Skull Bomb, but no one else does. So I don't feel like I have to take it here. Well, right. And I think what I'm missing is this this other category of green decks. But regardless, both of us are thinking about what could this mean for future picks about where we're ending up. And if you don't see all of the possibilities for where you could end up, 
you're leaving significant equity on the table. I think that is the the more important point to make. Agree. And next pick, you see arguably a better card than Eye of Malkator. Oh, yeah, I forgot what was coming up next pick. All right, so pack one, pick five. You see the following cards as options. There's a Mandible Justiciar, one and a white for the 2-1 lifelink. Whenever another artifact ETBs, it gets plus one, plus one. And then no real green cards. The only one is a Thirsting Roots. And the only red card is Forge Hammer Centurion. Uh, Two and a red, three, two. Whenever another creature artifact you control is put in the graveyard from the battlefield, put an oil counter on Forge Hammer Centurion. Whenever it attacks, you can remove two oil counters from it. When you do, target creature can't block this turn. I have never played that. I don't think it's very good. I have played it unhappily in mono red a couple times. Okay. And then uh, in the uncommon slot, there's still Unctus's Retrofitter, two and a blue for a 2-3 Toxic 1. Whenever ETB is up to one target artifact you control, becomes an artifact creature with base power and toughness 4-4 for as long as this remains on the battlefield. Card is a banger. Yeah, and I would take Unctus's Retrofitter here for sure. And I would be anticipating that at least four people to my right don't like blue because this is one of, if not the best... I guess, yeah, the second best non-rare blue card behind the Immobilizer. I I think it's a a huge signal here. And a lot of people, I think, are passing up on this card when they shouldn't be. Well, and I think it's even easier if you make your pick of the Rustvine Cultivator to say, well, I'm red-green oil or I'm green. Like, I'm going to take this Thirsting Roots and figure it out. Or I'm going to take Justiciar and try to draft green-white, you know, good stuff. And you're just leaving so much equity on the table, I think, if you're passing Unctus's retrofitter here and locking in your archetype too early. I agree. And this is a draft where you do end up and you 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 have a little bit of waffling. Like pick eight, you do get an oil gorge or troll. You're not locking into the artifact deck just yet until it starts to work out for you um early to mid-pack two. But like you should be doing that. Like you have to know when you're locking into the drafts. But I think we I gave some misinformation last week where I said it has to happen early it doesn't necessarily yeah and i I ended up drafting blue white here uh, a very good blue white tech that went seven two yeah and i would have ended up in the same spot even had i taken the cultivator and even had i gotten the you know the oil gorge troll later partially because i give so much weight to that pick five retrofitter yeah all right good stuff any parting thoughts before we go uh I hate to say it, but I'm excited to fire up my next one draft. I just like, yes. I really like, dra- I like drafting this format. I don't know what to tell you. I, I like drafting and playing this format. I hope we were able to convince some of you listeners out there to uh, give the format another chance. My parting advice is draft hex gold slash. No, I want more for myself. <laughs> and on that note, thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases or signing up for a TCG Player premium subscription please navigate your way there via our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash tcg player you can check us out streaming i will have baby jonah strapped to my chest at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is streaming at twitch.tv slash mr metronome mr is spelled out we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later
feel out of sorts. I feel like I'm in the wrong relationship to my microphone. Okay. I didn't hear to my microphone and all I heard was, I feel like I'm in the wrong relationship. <laughs> and just I just feel, felt, I felt personally attacked. No, no, I, <laughs> I feel, I feel like I'm too high, mm. but I'm not. My chair is all the way down. I don't know. Get this man a microphone arm. You did. Oh, wait. I, oh, wait. I, Someone did. <laughs> <clears throat>